There is a story uh, of a man driving a convertible car uh, on a mountain road with a, a cliff edge. As he's driving, uh, he suddenly takes a sharp turn and his car goes off, go, goes off over the cliff. And so as the car is falling down, uh, the man manages to grab onto a, a tree that is sprouting out from the cliff face. Uh, and while he's holding onto this tree, his car, of course, drops a thousand feet to the canyon floor. And while the man is holding onto this tree there, uh, he cries out for help. Uh, he says, help, please help me. I'm dying here. Can anyone hear me? Of course, all the man hears is an echo of his own voice. Again, he cries out, can you please help me? And all he hears again is an echo of his voice. Then he says, I've got to cry out to God. So he cries out to God. He says, God, can you please hear me? And of course, suddenly, the, the clouds roll together, don't they? And the voice thunders from heaven. Yes, I can hear you. The man says, will you please help me? I'm dying out here. So the voice from heaven says, yes, I will help you. Uh, do you believe in me? The man says, yes, I believe in you. Do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. Please hurry. Then, of course, the voice says, well, if you trust me, let go of the tree. After a long silence, the man cries out again. Can anyone else hear me? Well, I know it was funny. Uh, pretty enjoy, isn't it? But Rob laughs. That's enough for me. I tick box. But it's an interesting story, but it makes a, uh, it's a funny story, but it makes a valid point, doesn't it? The more difficult our situations, the harder it is for us to trust in God. And even if we are trying to trust in God, we often want God to do things our way, not His way. Our time, not His time. But God is a person. He's not a force. He's a person, so as a person, we can't manipulate him. Sometimes God says to us, sorry, I am God, and I have my own plan for you, not your plan. And so you've got to get on with my plan, not stick to yours. And when we hear that, even though we know it is God, it is very difficult, isn't it, for us to trust him in that area. Often what we do is we turn to other things to help us. And ultimately, those things can never help us as God can. Now, I used to be here this morning, all of us are in different situations, and, and I don't really know what's going on in your life. But one thing I do know is that life and problems are married together. Just the way life is. We all have problems to deal with. Some problems make headline news in our lives. They are big news. Illness of a loved one. A broken relationship somewhere. A job loss. Headline news. Everybody knows about that. Sometimes our suffering actually uh, remains buried in the inside pages of our hearts. And they are only known to ourselves. A bit like the newspaper, just buried there. Loneliness. Anxiety. Eating disorders. Addictions. Fear for the future. Uh, we don't, people can't see these things. 
What is the right way for us to respond to these challenges? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know already the right way to respond is to trust in God. You must trust in God. Uh, But what does that look like? We know that, but what does it look like? Well, the answer is found for us in Psalm 4, which we are looking at this morning. Uh, This psalm, which I love this psalm, you may have heard me talk about it many times. This psalm was written by David. And it was written at a time he was in deep trouble, like most of his psalms. And you notice in verse 2 there that the problem David is facing is that some people seem to have turned against him. Let's just read verse 2. Oh man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? People are going around saying nasty things about David and, and they're probably plotting against him and, and David is worried about this to some degree. He's concerned, we might say. We know he's concerned for his safety because he hands the psalm in verse 8 with a hope for peace and safety. Look at verse 8. In peace, I'll both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And immediately as we read verse 8, we realize that David is not reacting to his problem by turning to other things. No, David is turning to God. He's putting his full weight on God. Look at verse 5. This is the advice he gives us, isn't it? In verse 5. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. And notice the word Lord there is in capital letters. That means this is the, the, the Lord Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the one true God. And David is saying, look, no matter what situation you're facing in your life, don't put your confidence in, in Allah, don't put your confidence in Buddha, don't put your confidence in Mary or some saint. Don't put your confidence in people. Put your trust in the one true God of the Bible. The God who came to us that first Christmas day. The God who has revealed himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the question is, how do we do this? And this is what David helps us. Three practical steps. This is easy for us to remember. There are three practical steps David takes us through in this psalm on how we are to trust God in whatever situation. Headline news, small situation. Or barred situation, I should say. No situation is small. Public issues, small issues. Well, private issues. Three practical steps. The first step we need to take when we're in trouble is that we must start with God. Start with God. Now, what I've just said, start with God, goes against our natural instinct. And when troubles burst through the doors of our lives and announce, we start panicking, don't we? Uh, if you have a friend, you call a friend. If you have a family member, you go visit them for a cup of coffee and you ask for their help. And I've realized that increasingly many of us, when we have trouble, what do we go to? We turn to the search engine Google, don't we? Hey, Google is the place we go to solve debates in the pub. Google is the place we go to ensure we don't look incompetent at work. Google is the place we first turn to for, to dig up that inspirational sermon to help us get through trouble. Google has become the closest thing many people have in the Western world to God. It is their all-knowing, all-powerful 
thing they trust to solve their problems. But whether you are Googling for an answer, or calling a friend, or you are escaping through retail therapy, or doing one thing or the other, or just binging on TV to escape your problem, you are doing the same thing. You are chasing the problem. You're chasing the problem rather than chasing God. Because this is what we see here. David's strategy is to chase God, not the problem. Look at this one again. Look at this one. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. You know, when we read the Psalms, we, 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 we have to get in the words. Can you feel the tension in David's voice? Can you feel his desperation there? The intensity in his prayer. He says, answer me when I call. He goes, look, you have given me help in the past. I am in distress now, so help me now. Be gracious to me as you have been to me in the past. I bring nothing to the table, so help me now. And then he cries out, hear my prayer. David is saying, God, come through for me on this one. I need you. You know, David has been swept off by his problems in his life. But he has landed on his knees before God. And that should be our response to our troubles. You see, problems in your life always changes your relationship with God. They do. They either drive you closer to God or they drive you away from God. Are your problems you're facing escorting you before the throne of God? Or are you allowing them to drive you away from God? From His people even? You should allow problems to escort you to God. Why? Because of what David says in verse 1. God has the power to answer your problems. Look at this one again. David believes that. Answer me when I call God of my righteousness. Why? Because you have given me relief in the past. When I was in distress, you came through with power. You answered me. And you know why every child of God, if you keep your journal, you can go to your journal, you can look at it. And you can realize, I prayed for that, the Lord answered me. He was powerful enough to deal with that issue. We forget, but if you've got a journal, it helps. If you've written it down, I mean, I have my journal online now, on pencil, this online journal, you just, I can flick through. In fact, I even have an hashtag there in my journal where I can search just for answered prayers. Because when they answer, I take them off. I just want to be reminded, God answered this one, this one, this one, this one. If you're a child of God, you know that. You know, God answers prayer. And so, you should do what David does. If you're facing trouble with God, go to God. Why? Because God can do for you in a moment what any human being can do for you in a millennium. God can do that. But we don't just go to God because God is powerful. (laughs) It's not good, God just being powerful. We go to God because God is gracious to us. Okay? Notice here, David is not appealing just to God's power. He's appealing to God's grace. Look at this one again. He says, be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. It's like, look, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve you. I don't deserve your help. But I know you are gracious. I know you care for me. I know you can answer my problems. 
In the film, Transcendency, which stars Johnny Depp, uh, is a scientist there whose conscience, if you've watched it, has been uploaded to the internet. And while he's there, he gathers all this knowledge, of course, because he now controls the internet, and he becomes omnipotent. But sadly, the more he discovers things, the more evil he becomes, because he found out just how evil the internet is, other things, how the world is. So he just thinks, look, I can't trust anyone, I've got to do everything. So he's powerful, but he becomes evil in the process. He's corrupted by that power. And when you watch that movie, like most films, it, it raises questions, isn't it? The question, the question the movie is asking is, which is the new atheist, of course, ask, is can we really trust a God who's all-powerful? Because that's what he's asking. Can a God who's all-powerful ever be good for us when he doesn't really need us and he looks at us the way we are? Well, if you know the Bible, is that yes, God, we can't trust a God who's all-powerful and have no love, but we can trust the God of the Bible because God is not just all-powerful, he's perfectly good and he's perfectly loving. You see, the God of Johnny Depp is a made-up God. Our God in Psalm 4 is a God who deals with us, not based on what we deserve, but based on his love for us. That's why we can come to him and say, be gracious to me. I am appealing to your grace. I just want to encourage you this morning. If you are facing any trouble, come to God. Start with God. That's the first point. Start with him. Why? Because he's powerful for you if you are in Christ. And you know he's powerful for you because he's gracious towards you. And you've seen that grace demonstrated on the cross. That's the first step. The second step is stand on God. Start with God, point one. Second thing is stand on God. What do I mean by that? I mean that trusting in God means not only starting with God, but persevering in standing with God by rejecting the temptation to take matters into our own hands. When you're standing on God, you must do so by refusing to take a shortcut. You know, you have experienced this, haven't you? You, you, you meet with a colleague for a chat at work, and, and it has manipulation written all over it. And you just want to shout out in anger, isn't it? You feel tempted just to set them right. Or you're desperately trying to bring up your daughter in a godly way, but she just keeps drifting away. And every night you are in tears and you st- you're being tempted to start feeling bitter because you won't cling on to Christ. You're being tempted to be bitter. And we can give any situations. We all face these temptations. David is facing it here in Psalm 4. The slander, the lies, the plots. He can hear them in Jerusalem pubs. They're all talking about him. They want him out. Perhaps it's Absalom leading the charge. We've got to get rid of my dad. He's completely useless. The rumors are in overdrive. Look at this too. Oh man, David hears them. Oh man, how long shall my owner be turned into shame? How long will you love bad words and seek after lies? I can feel the anger there and the frustration in David's voice. I think a part of him just must want to just attack them. But David decides not to do that. Look at verse 3. The but is important, isn't it, verse 3? Despite what's going on in verse 2, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. 
David is saying to his enemy, look, you have an upper hand, but your arms are too short to box with my God. I'll just get out of the way. Look, you can shout. I'll just get out of the way, and I'll let God deal with you guys. And David is reacting like this because, you see, David knows one important truth. He knows that God sometimes, listen to this, God sometimes has to put us on our backs in order to look up. That's what God sometimes does. God knows that as a child of God, even our, you know, David knows that as a child of God, even our valleys are on higher ground. Because God is with us. And that is why David is encouraging us to stand on God, not on sin. Look at verse 4 to verse 5 there. He says this. He's looking at other people in trouble and he says this. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. David is saying, look, it is okay if you are to be angry at the evil someone does to us. That's okay. But don't let your anger turn into sin. Don't let your anger about what somebody has done to you turn into bitterness. Don't let your concerns about what the government is doing turn into hatred for people in power. He says, look, look to God. Keep living right. Allow that situation to escort you to God to work for yourself. He says this, offer right sacrifices. What does he mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, you see, people show trust in God by offering temple sacrifices through the priest. And David is encouraging them to keep up their religious duties and continue being before the Lord in their fidelity towards him. But the good news of Jesus is that he is our sacrifice. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. Jesus is our sacrifice. He makes us right with God. And so David says, look, stand on this sacrifice of Christ. He's pointing forward. Stand on the sacrifice of Christ. Lean on the grace, not on your own good effort. You see, our grace, our sacrifice of grace in Jesus is seeking the desires and affections of God. Seeking His will in every area of our lives. To do His will. To wait on Him in hard times and refusing to take a shortcut. Refuse to take a shortcut. I know that is not easy. Maybe you're feeling frustrated. Chola, look. All I want is a happy marriage with a husband or a wife that loves Jesus. That's all I want. Why won't God change the heart of my wife? Why won't God change the heart of my husband and save him? Or maybe you're asking, all I want to do is work. Why is God allowing my colleagues to kick me in the teeth at every opportunity? I just want to obey him. So how long is this going to go on? Or maybe you come into this fellowship and you ask them, all I want to do is belong to a local church and I don't want the politics. I just want to come here and worship him. But we'll deal with that this evening. But all I want to do is worship and be part of God's people. Why is church so difficult? Well, when are we going to see change in our fellowship? You might be asking. Waiting on God is painful, isn't it? But it is never 
pointless. Because David here is showing us that waiting on God to act is often the part of God's answer. Do you know that? Because as you persevere in standing on God in your trouble, you are growing in knowing that God is in control of your situation. You are knowing that God, even in the mess, is at work. Even in that mess, is forging you to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. You are knowing that God works all things for good for those that love him. And that brings tremendous blessings, isn't it? In how we live, because we are now not just starting with God. Point number one, start with God. And point number two is that you stand on God. You're not just learning how to start with God and standing on God. You are learning to stay in God. Stay in God. And that's our final point in this passage. Stay in God. Start, stand, and stay in God. Now, where the experts tell us that the high of the hurricane or storm, or we know ourselves actually just by looking at it, that the high of the hurricane or storm has the most scary view, isn't it? When you see it like that, it looks scary. When you look at it, there's constant lightning, especially in the hurricane. Thunder that just takes your breath away. You, you don't want to be anywhere near the eye of the storm when you see it. And yet, where the experts tell us that the center of the eye of the storm, that center itself, is actually the safest place to be in a hurricane. If you're in the eye of the storm, don't go anywhere. Now, people in the eye of the storm are tempted to run away because they know that they're at the heart of it and they can see, you know, the storm generating around them and they're tempted to go somewhere else. But actually, moving away from the high itself, you're at the center, only brings you danger, actually. To go away from the eye of the storm brings you danger. When you are in the eye of the storm, all weather experts will advise you, stay where you are. You are in the eye, stay where you are. It looks scary, stay where you are. And trusting God is like that, isn't it? It feels sometimes to be like in the eye of the storm. Because you're trusting God, you're not doing something. You're trusting Him only. And you feel like your world perhaps looks like it's sparring out of control, but it's not because you're trusting God. Because you can see the problem from God's vantage point, I guess, because you're just trusting him, and, and you have a deep sense that you are not the one in control, it is him who's in control. And you're tempted actually to run away from the center. But the advice is, stay in the center with God. Because this is what David is doing here. David has discovered it surfaced at the eye of the storm. Look at verse 6 and 7. There are many other people who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Then David's experience is different from these people who are just wishful thinking. David says, you, O Lord, have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Notice here, by the way, that David is still in trouble. Okay, his problems have not gone away, and yet his joy is glowing in the dark. To borrow an expression a brother used at our Bible study on Thursday, it is glowing in the dark. The peace is glowing in the dark because we can read it about it in verse eight. How can it be? How can it be that in the middle of this mess, David is having joy? Look at verse eight. The reason is that God is with him. Look at verse eight. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell 
in safety. David knows he's not alone. Did you notice the word there? You alone, the phrase. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David has put the weapons of self-effort down and is looking to God alone. He said, it may look messy, but God is with me and everything is fine. Even though my situation hasn't changed, I know my God is with me in this. And the good news of the Bible is that if you are in Jesus, you are this God, who is himself, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He himself is our peace. He has walked, knocked down the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. Christ has become our peace, not only horizontally, not only vertically, but also horizontally. You, if you're trusting in Jesus, you have peace with God. There's no hostility between you and God. And with that, as we said on Thursday, comes the peace of God that God has deposited, Romans 5, in your heart. Right? So you have peace with God and peace of God in your heart. And Jesus himself is our joy. He brings joy. That's the message of Christmas, isn't it? The angels announce, we hear about it during the carol service. They announce what peace and joy on earth. Christmas says God has put on our humanity. He has stooped to do all the things we do. Work, sleep, eat, use the bathroom, have family. Right? He's done all of this messy stuff. <laughs> you got family that's messy. To just be with us. To be with you. That's what Christmas says. Easter says God has not just become a man. He has lived a perfect life walked the hill of Calvary, died a brutal death on that Roman cross for you. He has not only died for you, Pentecost tells us, if you're trusting in Jesus, he has plugged you to the very life of God. As we see the Holy Spirit come down on Pentecost, we are reminded that God is now dwelling with us forever in our hearts. You now share the divine life of God. And ascension says, you are now seated with Christ on high. The end time tells us, your future is in the new heavens and new earth. So whatever situation you're in, start with Jesus. Stand on Jesus. And stay in Jesus. And if you do that, you'll grow in experiencing peace and joy now. Why? Because when you do those three things continuously, you are becoming more and more like Jesus. You are allowing God to use the situation to make you like him. To love what he loves. To, to enjoy the peace he enjoys. The joy he has. At one of our Bible studies, we learn a lot on Thursdays, I mentioned the story of a man who carved beautiful figures in wood. I said one day, someone asked him how he made such lovely sculptures. He said, look, what I do is this. I take a block of wood and I look at it for a while and I try and imagine, this man makes horses, right? I try and imagine the horse trapped inside this piece of wood. That's what I do. And then, having imagined it, I take the knife and I try and cut everything off that is not the horse. I just cut everything away. Maybe you are feeling that painful knife at the moment. As God slowly cuts everything off in your life. 
Beloved, remember that night is being held by your loving Heavenly Father. Remember that night the Father owes is cutting out from you everything that is not Jesus. Because the vision of the Father is to make you more like his dear son. And he's using that knife to remove that relationship. Remove that, you know, thing, dependence on, on, on some idealized view of what life should be. He's cutting all of that off. It's not that he won't give you some of those things, but he wants you to focus on Jesus, to become like Jesus. If you're truly a follower of Jesus, our dear Heavenly Father, Loves you too much not to wield the knife. Because his desire is that you would be conformed to the image of his son. And if you're trusting Jesus, if you're truly trusting in Jesus, you should want this. You should want it first of all because you know Jesus, don't you? You know him. Who has more peace, more joy than Jesus? Didn't you become a Christian because you wanted to be with God and become like the Lord Jesus Christ? To spend eternity with Him? Are you telling me you are looking towards heaven to spend time with Jesus but you don't want to be like Him now? Beloved, you know that's not the case. So now, this morning, whatever situation you're in, come before Our Savior, start with Jesus. Stand on Jesus and stay in Jesus. Amen.